This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by the Tracking Board's Launchpad Writing Competitions. In just four years, the Launchpad has helped 216 writers get signed, 68 projects get set up, and 35 writers stuffed, as well as led to four bidding wars. To check out their current and upcoming competitions, visit tblaunchpad.com and see how the Launchpad can jumpstart your professional writing career. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about television procedurals, how they are written, and some tips for you to write some of your own TV procedurals. You might call it the procedure to procedurals. But um, shh. Or not. <laughs> so, how do you define a procedural? Well, broadly speaking, a procedural is something that is being solved. The rule of thumb, obviously, for procedurals is that it is an episodic format. Specifically, viewers that are watching the show would not have to know anything prior to the episode itself to understand the case being solved as opposed to character storylines. Yeah, they all seem to follow a familiar formula each week to solving a case that will most of the time resolve itself by the end of that episode. And broadly speaking, procedurals can be classified into one of maybe four different categories. You've got medical, legal, cop, and genre. Yeah, and if we just quickly go over some of them on the medical procedural front, obviously the case or the thing being solved is going to be the illness. So examples include House, Grey's Anatomy, ER, or even the Nick. For legal, it's going to be the thing that's being solved is the case. So you've got the good wife, the practice, Ellie McBeal, LA Law, Law and Order, Criminal Minds, you name it. Then you have more the cop trauma that includes obviously military, more thriller type shows. And so that would be a crime being committed that needs to be solved. Shows include Hell Street Blues, NYPD Blues, CSI, Dexter with some leeway, uh, Hannibal, even Alias or The Unit. And the last one would be genre. These include fantasy, sci-fi, and supernatural type procedurals. And, you know, not so much being solved, but the thing is the monster of the week. Or for the sci-fi, maybe more of the planet of the week. So we've got things like Buffy, The Flash, Supernatural, X-Files, Grimm, and on the sci-fi end, Stargate, Firefly, Star Trek. And all the DCCW shows, basically. Are there any, like, comedy procedural, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. So for, like, half-hour ones, you're looking at stuff like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is sort of a comedy cop procedural. You've got The Grinder, which is a legal comedy procedural. Scrubs is a medical comedy procedural. Some of them are, like, fairly heavily satirical of what they're meant to be. So Children's Hospital, for example, is a very clear satire on the medical procedural. And then you've got other things like Archer, which is kind of like a spy cop procedural. Even Scooby-Doo is, like, an investigative procedural, if you think about it. (laughs) You probably never thought of that. Like, yeah. Probably not. Never thought of that. And then there are some hour-long ones as well, which do veer more into the territory of drama. For example, Psych, Ally McBeal, and Monk. But they are comedic and lighthearted in a way. For sure. And every one of those stories, you got to keep in mind whether we're talking about a medical show, cop genre, any such thing. At the base of a procedural show, we're talking about a mystery. It's about a secret being revealed in that episode, and usually by the end of the hour, right? So the narrative questions that are going to be in play are about when and how we're going to find out the answer to that secret. So let's talk practically about the approaches to writing a procedural. And let's first start with the case of the week. Yeah, so there are kind of two approaches to the case of the week. You can either go for character-based, and that means finding a story that either matches or challenges the characters that you have there and their flaws and their dilemmas and who they are as people. Or you can go for more of a ripped-from-the-headlines kind of thing where you go out and you find a story, maybe based off a of real life or maybe not, and then you just find the character within your ensemble that is the best fitted to explore that particular story. 
Right. And if we look at examples of procedurals that are with cases read from the headlines, the big one that comes to mind is obviously law and order. That's a big one. Another one is CSI. The big thing that made CSI distinct from uh, most procedurals at the time and why it was so groundbreaking was the style with the which it was shot. You know, there was the super close-up evidence shot of the blood and all these things. So it was really about the facts. In fact, I can quote Carol Mendelssohn, who's an EP on CSI, who said, quote, the minutiae are the real essence of CSI. The interesting stuff is the real facts. So know the distinction here with more character-based uh, approaches like something on the flash where if you might remember we brought it up in a prior episode but the idea in the flash or even most cwdc writers room is that first they need to find out what the characters need to go through before finding out who the villain is going to be and buffy was the same way there's actually an article that gene espenson wrote a few years ago about the process of the buffy writers room which i'll link in the show notes but here's a quick extract about the process and she says quote first there is the idea this is usually something that joss brings in and it always begins with the main character in my case almost always with buffy we spend a lot of time discussing her emotional state and how we want her to change over the course of the season frequently this in itself will suggest a story area we'll find a story in which we explore her mental state metaphorically the episode same time same place was centered around willow we wanted to explore her emotional distance from the the other characters. This turned into a story in which no one could see or touch Willow and vice versa. Note that the episode ideas begin with what is she going through and never with, oh, what would be a cool uh, slaying challenge? <laughs> and once we have the central theme of the episode and we understand how the main character will change during it, only then do we break the story. Yeah, you can say a very similar thing for a more comedic procedural along the lines of Scrubs. Scrubs has always been one of my favorite comedies because of how well it manages to balance the humor with the heart. In Scrubs, we're not really as invested in the medical cases as, say, a legit medical procedural like House. It's maybe more similar to something like a Grey's Anatomy and that it's all about the characters and their relationships, and then the cases are merely reflections of some struggle they are experiencing or a lesson they need to learn. For example, the episode My Overkill, which features Colin Hay of the Australian band Men at Work, who you might know for a down under now we can De- get into the australian stereotypes on me if you like definitely do not know this band really uh, i'm like this is kind of like oh the oh the land at, oh what okay i know this song i don't know the band yeah so uh, he was in there and he was the guy who kept popping up and playing the guitar and playing songs and, and whatever was he a special guest star i feel like that's I that, that so, means yeah. that's the kind of level we're talking about here yeah so anyway in terms of the story jd has just had this catastrophic episode where he has damaged his relationships with everyone you know he lied to carla he slept with dr cox's wife he found out elliot still has feelings for him and kind of rebuffed her so we go into work the next day and he's so busy running around trying to repair those relationships he's actually neglecting a patient this guy called mr zerbo who no one can really figure out what's wrong with and he just keeps getting bounced around all the departments Mr. Zerbo. I know, it's a very strange <laughs> name, but that was his name. So JD goes through this whole thing the whole day where he's chasing down his friends, trying to make amends, and never really looking at this patient. And at the end, Kelso kind of confronts him. He's like, what's happening with Zerbo? And JD owns up and admits that he has done nothing. It turns out, actually, that he had done the right thing. The diagnosis for Zerbo was actually something called drug fever, which is what happens from being overtreated. He really just needed to rest and give it time to get better. And so from that, JD learns that sometimes the best thing you can do is nothing. And that's true of, you know, being a doctor, perhaps, but also being a person his friends just needed space and time to forgive him and not him just constantly harassing him trying too hard to fix it 
Yeah, and I think you've hit on one of the aspects of procedural that's so interesting, and that is that it's kind of a story that is between both worlds. It services both the case of the week that is potentially close-ended within the episode, but also the characters. And that's an opportunity that most formats don't have, right? And I think we talked about it in the 20th episode of Paper Team about the art of the episode. It's this idea that you can sort of figure out a self-contained story, almost an anthology-type story within an episode while still managing characters that we grow with and who we love. Yeah, it's very satisfying to an audience. That's why a lot of procedurals are the highest-rated shows on TV, on networks, and that kind of thing, because anyone can come in and watch an episode for a week and be satisfied by seeing themselves a case, and it also rewards your long-term viewers who stick around week by week and see these characters grow and change. Absolutely. And there's a couple of episodes that come to mind for me. I mean, one of them is the episode Subway from the show Homicide Life on the Street, which actually won a Peabody Award. And the basic concept of the episode is that Subway is about a man who's pinned between a metro subway train and the station platform. And the homicide department of Baltimore is informed that he will be dead within the hour. And so the lead character, played by Andre Brower, is trying to sell the case while also comforting the men in his final minutes. So this is a story that's really self-contained. It's not really an arc that it's going to span episodes, but nonetheless, it's really powerful. And it's only in a procedural that you would get that sense of closure while still feeling for the characters they're going to be following beyond that one episode. And another example of shows that, in my mind, dealt really well with this dual identity are David E. Kelly shows like The Practice and Ally McBeal, who also explored their characters and cases in kind of unique turns. Ally McBeal was kind of a zeitgeist show at the time, especially since it was semi-comedic with some magical realism to it. Dancing so, Baby. Dancing with Baby, yeah, one of the most iconic visuals. The first visuals. meme. Yeah. <laughs> so they really, I guess it is kind of the first yeah. meme. So much that it went on TV. But at its core through, it was really about the adult life and the clash between being a professional and your own personal identities. Now, the flip side of the practice was the counterpoint to that. It was very cerebral and serious and precise dialogue kind of like being part of a debate team as a Navy Club article mentioned, which I'll also link in the show notes. But basically, the practice won a few Emmys and so forth. But the idea is that through the formula and the structure, David D. Kelly and his rank staff were able to talk to some issues that other formats would not be able to achieve. So moving on to the next section, we're going to look a little bit closer at the structure of a procedural. And generally speaking, you're going to have an A story as the case of the week and a B story as more your character arcs and character development. Absolutely. The A and B story dynamic is very clear cut in most procedurals. There's some basic narrative rules to writing procedurals since we are talking about a mystery that needs a payoff. And I'll quote Anne Donahue, who's the co-creator of CSI on that subject, and she says, quote, every person your characters investigate does not have to be guilty, but they do have to give you something so that the story builds, builds, builds. The other rule is you have to have a warm body by the end of act one within the first 17 pages. You also have to have a real suspect that informs the audience about the story you are watching. When you get to the end, a good ending is surprising and yet inevitable. That is what people are waiting for. That's a really good observation, and I think it is something that we often talk about is when you're paying stuff off, you're setting up and paying it off, it shouldn't feel like it's coming just completely out of the blue. Like, oh, by the way, it was the janitor who never appeared on screen and we never even interviewed. It needs it to was, have been worked in there, but not so obvious that the audience is like, obviously it's him, hurry up and get to that. It was a dream all along, Nick. <laughs> he wasn't dead. So looking a little closer at the comedy side of procedurals, you do run into some difficulty in that you only have two or three acts as opposed to five or six acts to solve this mystery or the 
resolve this story. So they usually take kind of a different approach. And often what it is is more of a spoof or a satire of the genre. They are commenting on those typical conventions rather than really delving into them and, and executing them faithfully. So you end up with this limited time to really do a proper mystery or reveal. So in that way, plots will often resolve themselves quicker and without as much effort on the part of the characters because it's not really what the point of the show is. Again, it all comes back to the characters and how they're being put in that situation, how it's testing them and how it's exposing or playing to their flaws and creating comedy from that and perhaps maybe offering them a moment of self-reflection or analysis at the end through something they've discovered about themselves. So whether they actually learn anything from that, it's usually not. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Especially if it's a reset. Exactly. No one is really super invested in how the murder investigation is going to turn out in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. What we care more about is how it puts the characters we love in a funny situation that challenges them. The story turns are more ways to exacerbate that and to throw more obstacles at the characters that they'll have to overcome in a humorous and characterful way. Again, that's how we inform characters through the action that they do. And through them solving that mystery, we inform character rather than the opposite, where it's about the case of the week and nothing else. Yeah, it's about the journey and not the destination, as they always say. If you want to boil it down to its most simple form, think about an episode of Scooby-Doo. We know from the start that it's going to be Old Man Johnson trying to scare away people from his competitor's store to make a profit. And he would have gotten away from it too if it weren't for those damn meddling kids. But we keep watching because we care about Scooby and Shaggy and the gang and seeing them get themselves in and out of danger, being chased around, hiding, fighting off mummies, and solving yet another mystery. No one's actually sitting there going, oh, I need to know who did it. Oh, what a well-crafted mystery. It's not about that. And I just love my quotes. Uh, So I'll just quote once again, Anne Donahue, on that very subject that Nick brought up. And that is, quote, the mistake that we all make, including me and all of our writers on the first draft, is we do load it up with clues and we go to plot. Here's the thing. No one cares about plot. No one ever has. But story, story is not the same thing. You look around and it's the story of the guy who doesn't want to lose or who wants to go the distance. That is something people care about. Usually that is the A story. The B story of that is his love. Does he get the girl or not? Now, with our show, i.e. CSI, the A story is investigation, but the B story is the emotional line. How does one of our characters on CSI feel about the case? And what is it doing to them personally? One family member of the victim is involved, and how can we help them through this tough time? So we have to keep switching back and forth between the investigative A story and the emotional B story. So if you have an act one, and it's nothing but a clue that takes you to this character, and that clue takes you to that next character, and our characters are only confronting them with evidence, you're failing. So the next section we want to look at is people's expectations about procedurals versus how you actually go about executing that. Do you play into them? Do you contrast with them? Do you subvert them? And in a way, how do you help reinvent this genre over and over again? Especially since it's been on the air for decades at this point. I'd be remiss to talk about procedurals and not mention one of the most prolific creators of the genre, and that is Stephen Boschko, who created amazing series like Hell Street Blues, NYPD Blue, and LA Law. And through each one, he was able to bring the human touch to procedurals, both on the social issue angle and also through his ensemble cast, which up until that point were mostly one or two cops, and it was very basic. But he really brought the whole conceit of this is a whole department of a law firm or a precinct 
to life. So one of them, as I just mentioned, is Hell Street Blues, which got eight Emmys in its first season, wow. which was a record at the time, only broken since by The West Wing. And so the new series disposed with established tropes and templates, and it used kind of a documentary use of handheld cameras, also multiple intertwined plot lines over more than one episode sometimes, and also, and critical to subverting the genre of a cop show, is this idea that you're dismissing the clear kind of demarcations of this is a good guy versus this is a bad guy. And there was also a lot of violence in the show, as well as political, social issues throughout the show. Yeah, that kind of brings us on to this point about if you are creating a new procedural from scratch, do you go with this tried and true method or do you go for something that's really never before been seen? So, for example, Chicago PD, which is a fairly new cop show, it doesn't really distinguish itself in a major conceptual way from Law and Order, aside from being set in Chicago besides new, instead of New York. So then it's really all about the execution and especially the cast of characters. So Criminal Minds, for example, which I used to work on, has a huge fandom for their characters like Shamar Moore's Derek Morgan, or Matthew Gray Goobler's Spencer Reed. We don't see that on the same level of, say, Tumblers of Detective Munch from Law & Order SVU. (laughs) Tumblers of Detective Munch. (laughs) So they really have the audience engage with their characters and caring about them. And, you know, the procedural element of it is unique in its own little way, but it's really more about people loving the people in the show. In contrast, a show like Grimm is a cop tracking down fairy tale fantasy monsters that have been ripped from Grimm's fairy tales. Or X-Files is about investigating aliens and conspiracy theories. Or even The Nick is a medical drama set at the dawn of modern medicine. So those are all very original concepts that hadn't really been seen. It's interesting also to look at science fiction procedurals because I think this kind of occurs in the specifically the realm of science fiction procedurals. Like I think there was a show a few years ago called Century City that was a legal drama taking place in the far future like maybe 2100 or something in LA and that bombed and then you have Minority Report on Fox I mean Almost Human I was about to say um, Almost Human yeah. all these shows that blend specifically sci-fi with procedural that for some reason have rarely worked besides the X-Files and maybe Fringe which in my mind is X-Files 2.0 but most of those sci-fi procedurals I've had a hard time. Do you wonder working. if some of that is budget? Because that's one of the great things about a procedural is that they are relatively inexpensive compared to a lot of the shows because you have your precinct set built. You do a lot of interview rooms, a lot of things like that, and there's limited exteriors. So it kind of keeps it fairly well contained. And even X-Files was still kind of grounded, high concept. You didn't often see a UFO flying Yeah, it was like Yeah, jo- it was like Jaws where it's more about what's not there. And exactly. I, I definitely agree that's one part. Another part that I think has led to this lack of success on that front, in my mind, is because as we said, you know, you go to procedural in part because you want to look at rip from the headlines cases, like things that happen or could happen to you in real life, or you don't want to happen because of some cathartic need to watch this story unfold. But with science fiction, it's very different because a lot of it is through metaphor, right? Mm. So a procedural is rarely about metaphor. It's literally about this case that is happening to this person. But if you're a sci-fi fan, you may want to go to something that's really sci-fi that talks about those human issues on a bigger scale. But if you're a procedural fan, then you're going to be alienated, no pun intended. Mm, it's more on a personal those, scale. Exactly. It's going to be more alienating to have those issues about AI whatever legal drama plot on Century yeah, City. If you, if you look at the demographics of procedurals, it is often an older audience. CBS is the king of procedurals and that kind of thing, and their audience skews over 40, over 50 a lot of the time. Those are the ones bringing in the big numbers, so it is a natural kind of clash between those two things. I do think there is a sliding scale between classic concept, nothing new, and super high concept. Take, for example, just putting a non-traditional protagonist into a show. So instead of a cop show led by a detective, it's one led by a psychic, and that gives you the mentalist, or even psychic 
like. Or maybe it's led by a behavioral analyst like Lie to Me, or an OCD private detective like Monk. That's one way to give maybe a fresh take on something we have seen before without having to add aliens or monsters to it. Oh, I love aliens and monsters. I completely get what you're saying, and I agree that that's an interesting way of flipping it. But on the flip side, you do have a lot of shows now that are kind of the same thing about a quirky civilian who works with a law enforcement agent like Sleepy Hollow or Castle or Bones or Elementary. And so if you look at even a couple of seasons ago, Fox had at the time about seven dramas in which the core premise can be literally boiled down to you got a quirky civilian contractor with a law enforcement agent that helps him. Usually it's a him and the law enforcement agent is a woman or it could be flipped. But the Hollywood Reporter actually did a whole article about that specific concept. And it's funny because the chairman at Fox at the time was saying that the network was not in some form of creative rut when it comes to drama series structuring because they had, if you looked back at Ally McBeal or 24 of the X-Files, there was always this idea that this world with a specific storytelling engine that is a procedural that helps the storytelling, but is still balanced with human beings and this conceit of this is still in real life with real people, but in heightened situations. So this is no different. Although I would argue that if a lot of the shows can be boiled down to the same concept, then maybe it's not as fresh as they think it is. Yeah, exactly. But it is important to note that you can kind of reinvent those shows with the same kind of narratives, but not based on that same procedural premise or bones. Of course, yeah. I mean, one of my favorite shows of all time is The Good Wife on CBS that ended fairly recently. And The Good Wife is kind of a unique legal drama in that it mixes your case of the week legal aspect as well as longer arcs to a very different degree than most other legal shows, like even The Practice. And that's because you have the core premise of the show, which is about this woman who's falling to hard times after her husband has gotten embarrassed by this big sex scandal and she has to restart her legal career, etc. This basic premise in any other legal dramas might have been relegated to a subplot or like a long-standing B story that's in the background, or maybe would have been the foundation for a lighter tone of a dramedy, like something out of USA, like Royal Pains. But instead, this is about really this is kind of like almost this premium trauma it's really dark saga just about this one woman trying to come of age at this specific time in her life and what i really love about the good wife and even the kings who created the show was that they were unafraid of bending conventions even in breaking bad if you think about it wall and jesse are never going to go on the run and become fugitives because that's not what the show is about right it's about them cooking meth in new mexico and potentially getting killed or chased by the police staying to face the consequences with their families with their friends exactly now the good wife on the other hand the premise is very simple but it has changed over time because obviously you have cast changes but also on the narrative front you have characters is moving from law firm to law firm, but also different positions since they flip back between more political aspects of it versus the more legal aspect of it. And so all this is to say that in of itself, it's not unusual for shows to redefine themselves between seasons. I mean, if you look at like a show like Angel, it moved from a detective agency to a law firm and redefined its entire mission between seasons. The Leftovers obviously changed locations every season. Next season is going to be in Australia. Nick, BSG, Lost, Elias all have jumped forward in time. But the difference with The Good Wife is twofold. First, again, this is a procedural and it still went beyond those kind of prejudices, I would say, that a lot of procedurals have in that they need to remain unchanged 
and static. And the second thing is that these changes actually occurred during seasons, throughout seasons, as in it's a constant evolution amongst our characters, which is the core of any good drama. So I think there's many ways, including if you look at The Good Wife, I think it's a perfect example of something that's subverted the trope of your legal traumas and still managed to keep things fresh and also has probably the best guest cast of any TV show ever. So looking a little deeper at this notion of the sliding scale between episodic and serialized, so in the early 2000s, it really seemed like we had this advent of more modern procedurals that are blending that serialization with the episodic narrative. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at historically in terms of procedurals, obviously before the 90s, you had this very static episodic format where it was a clear cut narrative, beginning, middle, end. And then we it's kind of this hard reset that you have still now in the love comedies, I believe, where it doesn't really change from week to week. And on the drama front, in the late 90s and early 2000s, you definitely had this blend of serialized and procedural. And now I think we've moved towards something, if you look at a lot of shows that are successful now, you still have a lot of procedural elements, like Broad Church, American Crime Story, you have this mystery that spans an entire season, and yet is satisfying on an episodic level. I think that is the format we're moving towards, specifically because it's about getting something that's satisfying on a macro level, right, beyond the episode as a total story, but also knowing that within the hour, you'll be satisfied with something that's concluded. Yeah, and always it's this movement towards streaming services and the ability to binge watch things that is enabling heavier serialization to take place and even be demanded or recommended by networks and by places like that because it lends itself better to the viewing habits of everyone in the modern day, more so than having to tune in every week and be able to understand it. Again, I think it's the, as you pointed out, it's like the way you watch TV, right? Like mm. part of it is if you're going to be tuning in linearly on CBS every week or what have you, then probably it's more likely you're looking for something that's self-contained. And I think at least most network shows, I believe, have embraced this weird duality, dual identity where they're both have to satisfy an audience that's only watching that episode at that time, mm. but also a bigger audience potentially down the line online that is watching it as a whole, as a totality of a season. Yeah, I mean, that used to be why a lot of shows took off on DVD, because people had the ability to then binge watch and really relate to these entire serialized narratives. So these things could be sleeper hits. They didn't do that well on the air, and then suddenly it's become a cult hit, even something like Buffy, for example. Breaking Bad is probably a worse example because it's serialized, but it is true that you have all those weird ways that people discover shows now that are either improving on, or I don't know if they're necessarily improving on, but you just have kind of an embarrassment of riches now in terms of what you're going to be watching. So it's very likely you're going to go to a triple A kind of show that's very serialized. That's usually most people's choice in terms of TV nowadays. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily always work in their favor either. One thing that's always been interesting to me and maybe a source of sorrow is that the Stargate franchise kind of ended up dying off because it changed from this model that they used in Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis that was fairly episodic. You could tune in, new planet of the week, here's a thing. They always had the serialization to it, certainly more and more as it went along. But then they went for Stargate Universe, which was pretty much entirely serialized. You had to really, truly understand where they came from, what they did the last episode, and all the relationships between these characters to get something out of it. And it just did not reach the same level of success. I mean, that is true. I will say that I do enjoy Universe. but oh, I do as but well, the, but obviously the, the public didn't. For sure. I mean, the second season did definitely enter a serialized level that the original shows did not have. But I would still argue that like, that's the power of a good procedural concept if you embrace it. And by that, I mean, in the first season, you had, and even in the second season, occasionally, you had these standalone kind of sci-fi-y episodes, like the one, I think it was a two-parter, where they went on this planet, and it was their descendants, I believe. There was this Yeah, those were the best thing. episodes, the ones that, you know. 
Exactly, but like it's interesting because it still embraced that duality of okay, so it's a self-contained episode because you know even with a one-sentence description, you knew immediately which episode I was talking about. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, if you had just watched this episode without any preconceived notion of the show, honestly, I don't think you would have been as entertained as you were when you watched it linearly. Yeah. So I think it's this weird blend of the two genres almost. Yeah, and this kind of serialization pushes even further when we look at cop shows and things like that that are making perhaps an entire season about one case particularly when you look at like uk and european shows like Broadchurch, luther sherlock it's no longer self-resolved case each episode it's like we're really really delving deep and pulling it over an entire season yeah i mean if we go back to the structural definition of a procedural where the a story is that case of the week and the b story is going to be the evolution of the characters i would argue that most of the shows you just quoted are still fitting that structure because the a story brought yours is still going to be the mystery of the season and the b story is going to be following like david Tennant's character or what mm-hmm. have you and that's going to be what propels you to move forward in the season it's breaking down one big case into smaller units that help propel him towards that you know absolutely in the same way that perhaps acts would in a contained episode yeah i think that's a great parallel ultimately i think that's because they're mimicking more of a novel than a short story which an episode of tv usually would be closer to a short story than a novel but ultimately i think both of those are still procedurals right and i think a lot of people listening to this may be doubting themselves oh i'm writing a procedural this is bad this is whatever but go beyond the preconceived notion of what a procedural is is my point <laughs> All right, Nick, what are some takeaways? Number one, a procedural is a story about something that fundamentally needs to be solved. Number two, the A story will usually be about the case, while the B story will usually be about the characters. Number three, try not to overload on plot. We should really be focusing and caring more about the characters. And number four, procedurals do not have to be shackled by rules. The most interesting procedurals bend the conventions and reinvent the formulas. Great. So how about some resources for our listeners? The resource I'll be giving today is this AB Club article about The Good Wife. It's something I quoted earlier in this episode. It's by Noel Murray, got published last year, and it's basically about how The Good Wife broke the rules for legal dramas. Mine's not so much a resource, but I recommend actually using the resources we now have at our advantage in terms of things like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon to go back and watch some of those classic procedurals from the 60s and all that kind of thing, like Dragnets and whatever, and then go and watch some of the more modern ones and try and track that progress of really how the format has changed and evolved over the years and see what's different. Maybe it's coming full circle again and we're going to end up with shows that are back in the old format or something. So you need to really understand where it's come from and where it is now to be able to insert yourself into that structure. Awesome. And on that note, we would like to thank you, dear listeners, for listening to us blabbing on about procedurals. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 40. It's the big 4-0. Big 4-0. Damn, we're not getting old. And as always, you can leave us reviews at paperteam.co slash iTunes. Speaking of reviews, we have a couple from our listeners that we would like to read out, as we promised we would. So we have one from Emily Haggett, who I believe had written to us by email to suggest a topic for an episode. And that episode was, Should You Pay for TV Writing Education, which was Paper Team 19. You can find that at paperteam.co slash 19. So she says, 
Hey Alex and Nick, I just finished listening to Should You Pay for TV Writing Education and I was so surprised to hear you guys say my name on the show. It was completely surreal and gave me a good laugh. But I'm extremely grateful for the shout out and let now I've said her name again. Maybe she's going to freak out. What? It's just a continual loop. We'll just say it over and over again. Getting back into it, I was extremely grateful for the shout out and for you guys answering all my questions about TV writing education. As always, you guys are clear and logical with your thinking and offer great level-headed alternative solutions. I've been listening to the podcast since day one and it's helped me tremendously with tips and tricks of the industry while also motivating me to stay on my path to becoming a comedy writer. I can't wait to learn more from you guys. I'm excited to see what success comes to you both because I can see you both deserve it. Aw, thanks, Emily. Thanks again for the shout out and taking the time to answer my questions from my email. Take care, Emily. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Emily. That's really nice. And let's uh, read another review by Shadekis. <laughs> Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, Jason Sudeikis said really fast. <laughs> J-D-E-I-K-S. I'm sorry if I butchered your name or your nickname, username, whatever. The title of his review or her review is pretty straightforward. America. F yeah. Immigrants. They get the job done. Now, part of my regular TV writing podcast rotation, these guys are brilliant to listen to. Not only do they know their shiz, but the... Mellifluous? Mellifluous. Mellifluous. But the mellifluous tones of their lightly accented... See, yeah, I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> lightly, li- accented. lightly accented voices keeps me glued. Glued, I tell you. Glued. There's some great irony there that it was lightly accented and you couldn't say it because of your heavy accent. Because of my heavy <laughs> accent, yeah. Is it heavy? I don't know. It's, it's more about pronunciation. Anyway... But yeah, that's nice. Thank that's, you. Do immigrants you, do get the job is. done, but again, don't tell Trump. And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Tracking Board's Launchpad Writing Competitions. Paper Team listeners can save $15 off the next purchase there. Just use the code PAPERTEAM, all one word, all capitals, at the checkout to receive your discount. And you can learn more about all the Launchpad's current and upcoming writing competitions by visiting tblaunchpad.com. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, opinions, ideas, for future episodes, please send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, what are we doing? I think we're bringing someone, a very special yeah, we're someone. bringing in a friend of mine, Stephen Darren Set, and uh, he writes for kids' shows, quite young kids, toddlers and that sort of thing. He's written for Tumbleleaf, Lala Loopsie, Bob the Builder, a couple of things like that. So we're going to really dive into how you write for an audience that young. On that note, see you next week. See you then. <laughs>